If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. I'd like to read verse 9 to you. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, looking throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I want to say that again, that he will show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly, therefore you have, uh, from now on you shall have wars. And I was meditating on that this week, and it's interesting to me that the, the, the verb or the, the phrase, he'll show himself strong, really means to strongly hold on to, to hold strongly, to be on their side, to take their part, to strengthen them, to support them, and to protect and defend them who are sincere and upright in heart. Now, mind you, it's not about being perfect or being free from sin. It's about sincerely believing God leaning on and relying on him with all our heart. The background for that scripture, for that verse that I just read you, was about King Asa. And, and he was a king of Judah. And when he first became king, he was focused on pleasing God and bringing him glory in everything he did. Scripture said that he did what was good and right in the eyes of God. That should be our goal in life. He rid the land of idols and any place where people could worship false gods. Scripture says that he commanded his people to seek the Lord and observe his word. And as long as Asa was relying on God and aiming to please God, God blessed him abundantly. He had a mighty reign uh, in Judah. But then a major problem arose in his kingdom. A massive army from Ethiopia came against him. And, and it was a powerful army. It had lots of chariots and lots of weapons and, and, and lots of men. And it looked very bleak for Asa. But the word says that King Asa... And that moment cried out to the Lord and, and he leaned on him and, and through prayer he acknowledged the Lord's power and his ability. And the Bible says that the Lord heard his prayer and, and they defeated this huge army and miraculously, it was a miraculous defeat. And then they went in and they plundered the enemy. And as he was coming back from that very victory where he saw God work powerfully on his behalf, he was met by a prophet. And the, the prophet came with a word from the Lord. And, and he said to Asa, the Lord is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, Asa was not about to forsake the Lord. He had just seen him I mean, do the miraculous for him. You, you need to understand that there was no way in the natural realm that, 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 that Judah should have been able to defeat this Ethiopian army. God did it, and Asa knew it. Asa knew that because he leaned on and relied on God, God took care of him. 
And so all was well, and, and Asa had a long, prosperous reign in Judah. But then all of a sudden, you, you see Asa growing complacent and, and not relying on God as much anymore and, and not leaning on him. And, and, and his life kind of became comfortable in that prosperity. And at that point, the king of Israel decided to invade King Asa's uh, the, 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 uh, land of Judah. And he began to build a fortified city in Ramah, just north of Jerusalem, because he intended to cut Jerusalem off. And so Asa, instead of doing what he did before, instead of leaning on and relying on God and going to God and asking him to direct him, do you know what Asa did? Asa devised a scheme and a plan all on his own. And he took money from the treasury, but what was, from what was worse, he took it out of the tabernacle out of God's house. And he took treasures out of those places and he went to the king of Syria and he said, could we hire some mercenaries to attack Israel in the north? And it looked like a good plan in the natural, but then a rebuke came from the prophet again. And he said, because you relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, the army of Syria has escaped from your hand. And then he reminded them, uh, he reminded him that the Ethiopians were just as big and powerful as, as the threat that was now against him. And yet because he relied on the Lord, the Lord gave him victory over them. And, and, and that even when that victory didn't make sense, but now he had done the exact opposite and he took matters into his own hands and did it his own way without seeking in and relying on the Lord. And that's where that scripture comes into play. He says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him, whose heart is loyal towards him. I really like the voice. It says, the eternal watches everything that happens on earth so that he can strongly support those who follow him. And then the prophet said, but Asa, by hiring mercenaries, you have acted foolishly and proven that you are not following him. And from now on, peace will elude you and you will be at war. Some of you are at war tonight and peace has eluded you. And it's because you're trying to solve things on your own. You're trying to do it your own way. And I have a word from the Lord for you tonight. If you lean on, rely in, and trust in him, he will not ever forsake you. He will strongly support. He will strongly uphold. He will strongly come to your defense because you're loyal to him. And that word loyal does not mean what you think loyal means. It means, it can be translated as completely. It means a man whose heart is completely directed towards God, who finds God to be his all in all. Asa didn't like the rebuke of that prophet, and so he threw him in prison. And, and, and it's important to remember that 26 years prior, that prophet had warned Asa, and he said, as long as you're following after the Lord, he'll be with you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And all of a sudden, Asa becomes ill. And scripture says that the disease was severe, yet in his disease, Asa did not seek the Lord, but the doctors. And he eventually died. Scripture makes a clear statement that if he had sought the Lord, that the Lord would have healed him. Because you see, the Lord will strongly support those whose hearts are loyal to him. Asa forgot where his help came from. 
He will strongly support and give victory to those we'll find who rely on him, who trust in him. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Moses tonight. We're going to see that God can be trusted and that we've got to come to that place of belief where we really believe, Lord, I am going to lean on you, rely on you. My circumstances might look bigger than me. This, this thing that's coming at me might appear bigger than me. But I have learned even through the life of King Asa that if I lean on, rely in, and seek you, that you will strongly support those who are loyal to you you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is the great I am and that everything you have need of, he is? And that's what we're going to see in the life of Moses tonight. And that's where I'd like to begin Exodus chapter four. But would you just bow your head and pray with me first? Father, I read this week that Paul said, that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him. He put strength in him so that the, the message could be propelled through him, that the message could be advanced through him. And Lord, I'm asking you tonight to stand with me and to put strength in me so that your message can go forth in power. In this place tonight, Lord, help me to teach with clarity. There's so much information, Lord God. Help me to leave out what needs to be left out and to expound on what needs to be expounded on. It's your word, Lord. You want it to prosper in the hearts and minds of these men and women. And I pray that you would cause it to do even that in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we move on to chapter 4, I want you to notice some things that we did not bring out in our teaching last week that are important before we go on and move on into chapter 4. In chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, I just want to read those to you this evening. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and large land, to a land uh, flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezrites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. I want you to see there, if you write in your Bible, I would underline, I have surely seen that God sees. He has seen the oppression of his people. He's heard their cry. He knows their sorrow. And so he has come down, he says, to deliver them out of the hand of those hurting them. And he wants to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. That, that's a land of abundance. It's a picture of prosperity, a picture of abundance. He was about to strongly support those who were loyal to him, those who were relying on and leaning on him. I want you to note the air of confidence in that statement. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of those who are hurting them. There is no maybe involved. It doesn't say perhaps he can accomplish this or it might be his goal. The issue wasn't up for debate. God had come down to do it. He intended, intended to do it. It was a declaration of what God would do, not what God might do. God was not intimidated by the power that Pharaoh thought he had. 
And God's word went out with certainty. I will do this. I will deliver my people. There was no doubt in his mind he was going to do it. And can I just tell you that God's word works the same way today. God's incarnation was God coming down to deliver his people. It was him coming down to set us free. He wants to bring us into a place of abundance, in a place of prosperity, and he knows what he has come to do in your life and in mine. And his word, this Bible, is a declaration of what he will do if we allow him. And just as certain as he was about his ability to deliver the Israelites, can I tell you, he is certain about his ability to deliver you and I and to bring us into a place of great abundance and great prosperity. Do you believe that? You see, that's what this is conditioned on. God is certain about his ability to do it. But are you? When he says he will do something in this Bible, it is his word to us. And his word never returns void. It always goes forth and prospers to accomplish the very thing that he sent it to do. He said it with certainty and he expects us to believe it with certainty. But we have to choose to believe it. And we have to know that his timing is not always ours. But nonetheless... He expects us to wait in confidence. The Israelites were crying out for many years before God ever came down to deliver them. You and I need to wait for God's timing. Moses, we see, grew weary in waiting for God's timing, and so he took matters into his own hands, and it was catastrophic. And I'm just going to tell you, so often we, we, we believe God's word for a while, But then when we don't see the fruition of it, we don't see it working in our life, we grow weary in waiting and we begin to take matters into our own hands. And instead, God wants us to wait confidently on his timing because it's always perfect. It's always perfect. And now in chapter four, we see that the time of deliverance has finally arrived. And I want you to realize that God could have sent a legion of angels to set his people free. God could have knocked Pharaoh dead. He could have taken all the Egyptian people out and set his people free that way. But do you know what he did? He chose to use a man. He chose to use an instrument An instrument to put his power in and deliver his people. And can I tell you, things have not changed today. God chooses to use men to put his power in and and to set his people free. He uses human vessels to bring his people from bondage into freedom, from slavery into liberty. And my question for you tonight and in this teaching is, will you make yourself available to be a vessel for God to use? Are you willing to be that vessel for him, a human vessel for his power to show forth? And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Our story picks up after Moses had been in the desert for 40 years and Truthfully, I believe that Moses spent those 40 years ruminating over his failures. I think he was convincing himself that he wasn't and would never be any use to God. That he would blow any assignment 
that he was given. And there are some of you here tonight that, that you really think, Bria, it's fine that you're up front teaching, but God would never use me like that. God would never use me to go to my neighbor and, and tell them about Jesus. God would never use me to teach Sunday school. God would never use me to, to introduce somebody to Christ. God would never use me to sing up front. God would never use me. Oh, can I tell you that before you were born, God called you. There is a purpose and a plan in your life that he put there before you were ever even born. Each one of us have a call and a purpose that only we can fulfill. Last week, as we studied about God speaking to Moses through a burning bush, I, I, I told you that to take note that it was a common, ordinary bush that God set ablaze. It was a bush that you could find anywhere in the desert. There was nothing special about the bush. What was special was the fire in it. It was the supernatural presence of God in it. It was never about the bush. It was always about the fire. And can I tell you what? It is not about you. Can I just tell you? you. It's about the fire of God that's in you. It is about the power of God that's in you. Oh, you can't go tell that person about Jesus in your own strength. But, but if you let your life be set ablaze by the fire of God, there is nothing impossible for you. It's interesting to me that uh, Moses in chapter 3, you, you see God calling to Moses from the bush, and he says, Moses, Moses, and how does Moses answer? Here I am, ready and available, reporting for duty, Lord. And you look at that and you say, wow, he must have been some spiritual man. And then when, we found, when he finds out what God is asking, he was quick to give every excuse in the book for not doing what God was asking. And eventually he even told God to send somebody else, that he wasn't the right man for the, God, for, for the job. And I believe that Moses was reluctant, and we're going to find out why, but I believe he was reluctant because he didn't realize what God was asking. I think he actually thought that God was asking him to deliver the Hebrews. But in reality, the onus was never on Moses to deliver the people. He was simply the vessel that God was going to use. Uh, not long ago, I was on my treadmill in the basement, and our basement ceiling is, is not finished. And, and, and I was talking to the Lord, and I was, I, I was praying as I was walking on the treadmill. And I was talking to him about, Lord, I, I had a big task in front of me, and, and I didn't know how I was ever going to do it. And, and it was bigger than me. And, and I looked up, and and I saw the copper pipes in my ceiling in our basement. And, and I could hear the, the, the water rushing through those copper pipes. And, and I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? There's nothing special about those copper pipes. In fact, they're kind of ugly. I wish Dave would cover them up. But the copper pipes were just the conduit. They were, they, they were just the vessel that, that carried water from one end of my house to the other. There was nothing special about them, nothing fancy about them. They were just an instrument for the water to flow through. And I felt like the Lord said to me, Rhea, I just need to remind you for a moment, you're a copper pipe. That's all you are. You're just an instrument for me to flow through. Does anybody have a mitten or a glove in this cold night? Brian, can I borrow your, your glove? Thank you so much. Now, I have Brian's glove here, and look how floppy it is. But there's nothing special about Brian's glove, but when I put my hand in it, oh, baby, 
Look what I can do with Brian's glove. You see, it has nothing to do with Brian's glove. It has everything to do with the hand in it, the power in it. Thank you, Brian. Do you see that it has nothing to do with you, dear ones? And see, this is what Moses didn't realize. Moses actually thought it was about him. But God was saying, you're just a copper pipe. You're just a glove. You need my power in you. And that's what's going to accomplish this, Moses, not you at all. And I just tell you, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. But Moses' prior failures, the things that put him on the backside of the desert, still haunted him and, and led him to find every excuse in the world why he was not the one for God to use. And that's what we're going to look at tonight uh, in Exodus chapter 4. We're just going to read a couple verses at a time. I'm going to jump throughout the chapter. But in, in chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Actually, let's just skip over. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. That was Moses's. We're going to see the excuses that Moses's, Moses uses to tell God that he's not the right one for the job. And I want to see if you can find yourself in these excuses. Do you ever feel like God is calling you to do something and you have every excuse why you are not the person for the job? And that was Moses. His first excuse was in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. He says, but Moses, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I, Lord? I, I'm not good enough. I'm not adequate. I'm just a wrinkly old man on the backside of the desert. I, I, I'm just a shepherd. I just hang out with sheep for the past 40 years. And guess what, God? They're not even my sheep. That's how big a failure I am, Lord. I can't even provide for my own family. I'm living with my father-in-law, Lord. Who am I? I haven't been in Egypt for 40 years, Lord. I've even forgotten the language. I didn't even belong in that household, Lord. I was adopted. I I was not even legitimate, Lord. Who am I? And by the way, Lord, in case you missed it, I failed you. I tried it once. They made fun of me. They mocked me. I had to flee from, Lord, do I need to remind you who I am? Every time I step into a pulpit, I say to the Lord, do I need to remind you who I am, Lord? Do you remember the life I lived, Lord? Do you remember the things I've done, Lord? And he very gently reminds me who he is in me. You see, it has nothing to do with me. It's just being willing to be a copper pipe for him to flow through. Moses said, I, I, I'm not good enough. I'm just a failure. I, I'll make a mess of things, Lord. I, I, I'm just insignificant. You, you really don't want me, Lord. But, Moses, but God isn't moved by Moses' pity party. And his reply simply was to him, uh, I will be with you. That's it. That's all he needed. That's all we need is the, the knowledge that he will be with us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that he will never relax his hold on us. And in our weakness, he will be made strong. And then he gives him the, the next excuse. And, and, and that is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, it says, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, I don't know you well enough, Lord. I'm not spiritual enough, Lord. I don't even know your name, Lord. Some of you, God has called and, and he's, he said, I want you to do this. And, and you're like, well, I won't know the answers. And you're going to ask me to do that. But what if they ask a, a question I can't answer? And I don't know you well enough, Lord. I haven't spent enough time in your word. I, I, I don't know your character enough. I, I don't know your word enough, Lord. I, I, find somebody else. Find somebody else. God's answer to him, and that is, I am. Everything you have need of, I am. I'm living in you. You're just a copper pipe. I am in you. And everything you have need of, I will be for you. That didn't work. And so Moses moved on to the next one. And that's what you see in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but, but suppose... See, that's where he gets wrong. He's, he's doing the what ifs, and he's already a step of, ahead of God finding every excuse in the book. But, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. I love this one. Lord, people aren't going to believe I hear from you. They're not going to think I really know you, that I'm good enough for you to speak through. Remember, Moses was going as a man to tell the Israelites God had sent him. Uh, he had seen a burning bush. He knew the supernatural God, but that burning bush couldn't go with him to the Israelites, and there would be no visible presence of God with him. And, and so now it wasn't about the, the excuse that he wasn't spiritual enough, didn't work with God. And so now he was going to say, but what if they think I'm not spiritual enough? How about that one, God, huh? How about that? They're not going to think, I hear from you. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible is that when people saw, I think it was Peter and John, don't quote me on that, but when he saw some of the disciples, they, they said that they were unwise, unschooled, ordinary men. But when they heard him teach, they knew they had been with Jesus. That is the cry of my heart. You might say she's un, unschooled. She, she doesn't, I'm from Pennsylvania. We speak Pennsylvania Dutch. I'm telling you, my Dutch is about as thick as it comes. I, I, when I go back home, I'm going back home in a little while, and, and I come back, and I can, I, I, I am telling you, Jons, I, I can speak Dutch with the best of them. I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And, and it really betrays me when I preach, because what you hear as, as, as poor grammar is really Dutch, is, is all it really is. And, and so I try my hardest to clean it up, but I can't. And so well, I was like, Lord, I cannot teach because I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. We speak Dutch. And it's just not, it makes me sound like I'm unschooled and ordinary. And the Lord said, just let them see that you've been with me. Just let them see that you've been with me. So Moses is saying, you know, what if they don't respect me? What if they don't think I've been with you? And God says to him, look at this. He says, what is that in your hand? Verse 2. He said, a rod. And he said, cast it to the ground. So he cast it to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. 
that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Further, the Lord said to, to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he took his hand and put it in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Now, if I was going to park here and I was going to preach on something, I would say, look how many times the word bosom is used there. That is not a coincidence. And I said to Dave, this chapter is full of parking, preaching for me. But I promised you I would hit a chapter a week. But I'm telling you, if you want something good, go study the word bosom because it's, it's repeated about six times in that short little verse. But I won't ruin it for you. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And so it shall be if they do not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take the water from the river and pour it on dry land and the water which you take from the river will become like blood on the dry land. Oh, I love it. That's so much right there. I just, I, I just can't even tell you. But, but Moses says, you know, I, they're not going to believe me, Lord. They won't believe I hear from you. They won't believe that you're with me. So what am I going to do? And, and God says, what is that thing in your hand? Anytime God asks a question, it's not because he's looking for information. Because he is the all-knowing, all-powerful God. He knew what was in Moses' hand. This was for Moses' benefit, he was asking. And, and, and he says, cast it down. And that word, cast it down, it means to throw, to hurl, to fling, to shed, to be cast down, to be overthrown. Get that one, to be overthrown. Now stay with me. If you lose everything else I say in this message, don't miss this. The word cast, that very same word cast, is used several places in the word of God. It's used when Joseph's brothers cast him in the pit. They were abandoning him in that pit to die. It's used when, Moses, when Pharaoh said, cast the infants into the Nile. In other words, throw them in the water and abandon them to die. Are you with me? It's, it was used when Elisha cast the axe into the water. He threw it into the water and it sank to the bottom. Actually, it floated. Uh, it's used with cast your burdens on the Lord. This is my very favorite. Do you know where we're told to cast your burdens on the Lord? For he cares for you. This is the exact same word that's used. In other words, they are to be thrown away and abandoned into God's care. Oh, dear one, if you didn't get anything the rest of this night, take that one home and chew on it. Cast your cares on the Lord, for he cares for you. Cast, cast your burdens on Jesus, for he cares for you. Throw them and abandon them into his care. Tonight, something happened, and immediately, because I've been meditating on that scripture, uh, something that would have robbed me of peace, someone that would, something that would have eaten at me for 24 hours and probably interfered with my preaching, something happened to me, and I was able to say, uh-uh, no way, Lord. I am casting that on you. I need you to overthrow that in my mind, and I need to cast that into your care. I'm abandoning it into your care. Rock on with your bad self with it, Lord, because you say you care for me. There it is. I'm not even kidding you. That thing lost power in my head. Now, that's good for the whole night, isn't it? I could stop preaching. We could sit down and go home. But 
It's also used when David says, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. So he says, that, do you have the picture of the word cast now? Abandon me. Don't, 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 don't throw it down and abandon it, okay? Are you with me? Lord, help me to, to tell this like you showed me. And so he says, what's that thing in your hand, Moses? What's that thing you're holding on to? What was it? The rod. What did he use the rod for? He was a shepherd. It was his identity. It was his income because how well he shepherd determined how, how, how strong his income would be. It was his support. It's what he leaned on. It was his weapon. It was the thing he clobbered snakes with. It, it was the thing that he used to make his living. It represented authority because that's what he nudged the, the little sheep with and got them to go where he wanted them to go. And it, it, it really represented um, his security and his safety. It was how he saw himself as a shepherd. It was his identity. One commentator I read said the significance to a Hebrew of this staff was major because if you, if you ever saw a staff, it was made to last a lifetime. And if you ever look closely at a shepherd's staff, it would have uh, pictures like carved into it or, or notations made on it. And they say that these marks represented dates in which something significant happened in the life of that shepherd. It was like a personal diary, if you will. It represented his work, his very life, a record of his life. Are you with me? Moses, what is in your hand? It was his identity. It was everything about his life he was clinging to, he was holding on to. And God was saying, if this is going to work, Moses, you got to cast that thing down before me. You got to over, you got to let me uh, take that thing. You've got you've to give it over to me. You've got to cast it on me. God was asking him to throw that thing down, to abandon it, to let it go and give God access to it. Oh, I want to flesh this out for you. And Lord, please help me. You see, some of you, what are you holding tight to? What is that thing in your hand? We hold tight to the things we want to control. We want to hold tight to the things that, that, that we're concerned about, that we don't want to let go of, that we want to do it our way. What is that thing you're holding on to? Maybe it's a marriage that's messed up and you're holding tight to it and you're trying to control that spouse and you're trying to make him or her behave the way you want him to and you're holding tight to it and God is saying to you tonight, throw that thing down. Throw it down. Abandon it to my care. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a prodigal, and you're holding tight, trying to control them, going through their drawers, going through their stuff, trying to control them with your words, and you're holding tight because everything's so out of control, you think you actually have control. Oh, can I tell you tonight, the Lord is saying, throw it down, abandon it to my care. Maybe it's your finances. Remember that staff would have been, so it would have represented Moses' finances, his income, those, those, his livestock. Was, that was where he got his income. And maybe for some of you, you're gripping tight to your income. You're living in fear. You're not even tithing because you're so afraid to let go of anything. And God is saying to you tonight, throw it down. Abandon it to me. 
abandon it to me. Trust me, abandon it to my care. Trust me that I have it. Maybe it's a job or a lack thereof. Maybe you're clinging to success. Maybe that's where your identity is and God is challenging you tonight to throw it down before him, to abandon it to his care. You do not get your identity from your work. Can I just tell you that your identity comes from who God says you are. And you will work yourself to death trying to prove you are something hanging on, hanging on to that belief. So when Moses threw it down, what happened? It turned into a snake, and and I believe, most commentators believe, that it wasn't just any old snake. What snake was really popular in Egypt? A cobra. Uh, the, The fact that Moses ran, he bolted, is really what happened. He took off running. It tells me that that staff turned into a A cobra to a vicious, poisonous snake. And, and you see, that word snake there is the same word that's used in Genesis 3 for the enemy of our soul. But the, the cobra was also the snake that Pharaoh wore on his headdress. Do you know that? And you see, Moses would have been familiar with that. This is really important. Uh, John McKay says it symbolized all the might, dominion, and magic, this is important for the weeks to come, with which the gods had endued Pharaoh. And remember, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. He would have been familiar with the power of the little g-gods. He would have been familiar with magic. He would have been familiar with all of that. And, And so God was making it clear that he had sovereign control over any power that Pharaoh thought he might have. He had authority over the gods that Pharaoh worshiped. He had power and authority over Egypt and all that Moses could possibly fear. But most importantly... And this is what I want to say to you. He has all power and authority over Satan. That word snake is the same word that's used in Genesis 3. Do you know that the Bible says to us in in Luke 10, 19, that all authority, all authority has been given to me to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, not some, all the power of the enemy. And absolutely nothing can harm you. If you don't have that scripture memorized, get it memorized. Because that is a promise of God to you. That all authority has been given to you to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And nothing can harm you. Moses, pick it up. I don't know much about snakes because I don't want to know much about snakes. I really hate them a lot. I really super duper much hate them. And, and, but I do know this, that you never pick a snake up by the tail. If you pick up a snake, especially a cobra, by the tail, what's going to happen? His little head's going to swing right around and grab you. I, what in the world, God? Sometimes God calls us to do the craziest things, doesn't he? But he waits for obedience. Pick it up by the tail, Moses. Pick it up by by the tail. And that word, take it up, that God uses, it's so interesting. Don't miss this, it's good. God uses a word meaning to grasp, to take hold, to seize, to take possession of. But Moses, when the Bible says he picked it up by the tail, it uses a different word. It means to grasp grasp cautiously. 
It means to have to strengthen oneself before they even think about doing it. It means you have to work up all the strength in the world in yourself before you have the courage to cautiously grab that thing. He wasn't convinced that God was going to take care of this. God said, take possession of it. You see, that's how we face the enemy. He says, God says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. That that's my inheritance to you and the saints. Notice that it says that, there, that, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. It doesn't say it won't be formed. It merely says it's not going to prosper. That that's your inheritance in the saints. So you get to say this weapon that's been formed against me, I declare and decree is not going to prosper. That is my inheritance in the saints. I am taking possession of it. I'm picking that snake up by the tail. Not cautiously, I am taking possession of what God said I had possession of. Do you understand how this works? My sons will be taught by the Lord. It is time we don't cautiously grab that snake by the tail, but we begin to decree it with everything we have. I am taking possession of that which God said I can have possession of. You see it? I will keep at perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on me. I am taking that snake up by the tail. I am taking possession of that thing. I am tired of living with a lack of peace. I am tired of living with anxiety. I am grasping that promise and taking possession of it. Moses, what is in your hand? What are you hanging on to? I need to have control of it. You need my supernatural power in it. You see, after he picked that thing up again, it became a rod. Now, in the beginning, it was the staff of Moses. Don't miss this. But I think it's in like, don't quote me, like verse 20. It now is the staff of God. <laughs> you see, your marriage used to be, used to be your marriage. But when you throw that thing down and you abandon it to God, to his care, it becomes a marriage governed by God. Don't mess with that. Don't mess with that. This is what happens when we surrender our lives, our marriage, our children, our jobs, our security, anything we get our identity into him. When he tells us to pick it back up again, it becomes a weapon. Do you understand what he used that staff for? He didn't need it. Well, we see him getting on his donkey like in, I don't know, 20-something. Scoot down through that scripture. We see him getting on his donkey with his wife and the staff of the Lord. Is it verse 20? And it says, I just want you to think about this. He is not a shepherd anymore. He is going to deliver God's people. He does not need that shepherd's staff, except that he understands something. It is now the staff of the Lord. God's power is in that thing. He is not going anywhere without it. 
Do you know that that staff was used to part the Red Sea? We're going to find that out. It was used to club a rock with <laughs> a rock when they were thirsty and didn't have water, and all of a sudden water starts pouring out of it. It was used to what else? Hit the Nile, and it turned into blood. Oh, man, there was power in that rod. Whatever we are holding on tight to, however important it might be to us, God invites us tonight to throw it down and abandon it to his care because in our hands, it's a source of camouflage for the snake. See, there was always a snake in there. God just showed it. In our hands, it's a source of camouflage for the snake. But in God's hands, it turns into a rod of supernatural power. Interesting that he tells Moses to pick it up by the tail. Where is the deadly destruction of a snake? In the mouth, the head. <laughs> it's like he's saying, Moses, can you just trust me with the dangerous stuff? Can you just, in obedience, do what I tell you to do and trust me that I got the dangerous stuff? Can you trust me that I have your child that you threw down for me, that you abandoned into my care? Can you trust me that, that I got the dangerous stuff? Can, can you trust me that that marriage that you think is too far gone and, and just way beyond hope, can, can you trust me that I got the head of it? Can, can you trust me? Can you trust me? That as Moses, God was saying, Moses, as you walk in obedience to me, I can be trusted to look after the dangerous parts of your life. God gave Moses uh, back the staff, but now under new management. <laughs> he wants to give you back your life, back your family, back your identity, back your security, back your whatever, under new management, filled with his power from on high. Do you understand that the Bible says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe, not might? Moses was going to use that staff as, as a, it was going to, you'll see later on as we study that that staff will, will see God's signs and wonders displayed through that staff. And that's the same with us. When we lay down our life and abandon it to God's care, he fills us with power from on high. And, and we can be vessels for signs and wonders in this world. The last two excuses Moses uses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, he says, O Lord, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Some commentators think he had a speech impediment. Others think he was saying, I'm just not a good public speaker. Some think that he was saying, you know, I, I don't have a grip on the, in, on the Egyptian language anymore. Whatever it was, God comes back at him and he says, who gave you that mouth? Who gave you that mouth? So if he did have a speech impediment, Moses, who let you have that speech impediment? And do you understand that God is kind of taking offense there? We, we see every time we question who we are, can I just tell you that? Every time you question your value or your worth, every time you question that you're not good enough the way God created you, what you really are doing is insulting God. Insulting God. Who gave you that mouth, Moses? 
God made us exactly like he wanted us to be, with the exact giftings and talents we need to do what he calls us to do. Moses is saying, there's so many better equipped people, God. My Egyptian isn't up to par. I'm old and out of touch. I just don't have the energy. (laughs) Can I just tell you that God's ways are not my ways? Because I would have just said, okay, forget you, Moses. I'm not dealing with this. Ain't nobody got time for this, Moses. I got other people who are willing And he picks an old man, 80 years old, on the backside of the desert for 40 years, shepherding sheep to confront the most powerful king in the land. Moses was a shepherd. Pharaoh was mighty. I would have chosen somebody else. I agree with Moses. But you know what? I'm evidence that God chooses the foolish things of this world confound the wise. That God plus me is a majority, not a minority. That he is more than enough, and in my weakness, he is always made strong. And he was about to prove that to Moses. So now, when all of those excuses didn't work, we get to the final one in verse 13. He says, but, oh, my Lord. And I, I just have to tell you, the fact that he's calling him Lord And fighting what he wants him to do just blows my mind. Because if you look up that word Lord, it means master. It means he to whom a person or thing belongs. And about which he has the power of deciding. So he says, oh Lord, (laughs) my Lord, please send somebody else. Just not me. Anybody, just not me. John McKay, one of my favorite commentators, says that Moses had crossed the boundary between humility and disobedience now. And now suddenly the truth comes out because you see it really wasn't that he wasn't good enough or that he didn't think he was spiritual enough or that he didn't speak well enough or he didn't know God well enough. Those were just excuses. The real issue is what we see right now, that he didn't trust God enough and wasn't willing to obey God, even when it was hard. Oh, he was willing to say, here I am, in chapter 3, until he found out what God wanted him to do. He was willing to say, take off your sandals, Moses, because the ground that you're standing on is holy. He was willing to take off his sandals and say, I'm choosing to be set apart. I'm choosing to be consecrated. I'm choosing to do what I'm acknowledging you as holy. But he wasn't willing to do what he called him to do. He was really just giving lip service to God. And I need to tell you that disobeying the Lord's call on your life is no small thing. Moses was saying, I'm not as good as others. Someone else would be better than me. You obviously made a mistake choosing me. I'm not the man for the job. Moses was so afraid of failing that he refused to even try. And what he didn't realize is that God plus him was a majority. There was no chance of failure where God was involved because God has promised that he will not, he will not, he will not in any degree fail us. He won't ever fail us. So Moses said, you know, just send somebody else. And then God got angry and he said, all right, I'll send you brother Aaron. Now, you need to know that even God was going to use this because we'll see later on in this chapter and read through this chapter because I'm not going to be here next week. But even at the end of this chapter, we see Aaron coming to meet Moses on the road. 
Aaron didn't know where Moses was. Moses had fled 40 years prior, 40 years since he saw Aaron. Now, all of a sudden, Aaron is going looking for Moses at just the right time that God said, I'll send Aaron to help you. Don't tell me we don't have a powerful God. But we will see that Aaron was not God's first choice. And that as we continue to study the book of Exodus, we'll find out that Aaron was actually a hindrance to Moses, not a help. And so when we do things God's way, we succeed. But when we insist on having our own way, we get in trouble all the time. God was angry with Moses, Scripture says, but I don't think God was angry because Moses wanted somebody else. I think God was angry because he didn't believe God was enough. You see, all along, Moses was focused on what he didn't have. But let's focus on what Moses did have, because we have the same thing. He had a promise from God. God said in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. You know, I hear that, and I think that must mean Moses is coming through this. When you bring them out, you will serve them on this mountain. I'm telling you that right now. They're coming out, and you're going to serve them. On, you're going to serve me on this mountain. He had a promise from God. He had God's word to him. He had the presence of God, and he had the power of God. And you and I have the same thing available to us. We just have to decide if we're happy being a common, ordinary bush, or if we want to be a bush ignited with the power of God. There is nothing that God cannot do in you. Nothing. He just waits for you to say, I'll be a copper pipe for you to flow through. I'm making myself available. And it's not just lip service, Lord. I'll go and I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll say what you tell me to say. Yours may not be a pulpit. Yours might be a neighborhood group. Yours might be just taking dinner to the neighbor and letting them see Christ in you. Yours might be, my, my friend Rick is here tonight. Rick, I believe, has one of the strongest evangelistic gifts I've ever seen. He just tells people about Jesus like it's nothing, and they respond. He's making himself a copper pipe. There's no pressure. He, I, I never see him under pressure. It's just casual conversation because he knows he's a copper pipe. Becca stood up and, and sang with Ian tonight. I love to hear her harmonize. She understands she's just a copper pipe. It has nothing to do with her. Sandy is sitting here. Sandy serves more people than anyone I have ever known. She gives people rides. She makes sure people get to the doctor. She is available for them 24 hours a day. I have never once, Leslie, have you ever once heard her complain? I have never one time heard her complain. Sandy, how old are you? 75 years old. But see, she understands she's a copper pipe. I just make myself available. You're never too old. You're never too young. You're never too busy. You're never too much of a failure. You're never too messed up. Never too timid. Never too afraid. You just make yourself a copper pipe. Understanding. 
not about the bush. But what's he calling you to do? You don't think you're able to do for him. Take very seriously what I do up here. I used to one, I love when we go away on the road. Leslie said we've given up the road. And can I tell you, this pastor is worth every bit of giving up the road for this family. Support him. But it's hard. We, we loved being on the road. We loved ministering. And I love big groups. I would have big groups to minister to. And, and big groups were important to me at one time. Then the Lord said to me, I am building an army. It's not about big. You can have big and have them have no spiritual depth whatsoever. I would much sooner have small and spiritual depth and build an army that'll take a world for the Lord than the masses. I believe you're that army. And I take very seriously what I'm sowing into you. I believe you're being raised up to be sent out. This is, this is a sending ministry. I believe that our whole purpose is to strengthen the body of believers to go out. And that's what we're doing here. But you got to be able to say yes to God. So let your past failures, let your weaknesses, let your insecurities, throw them down and abandon them into the care of the Lord. Some of you say, I can't. I have a family that needs me. Throw it down. Abandon it into the care of the Lord. And watch what he does. Watch what he does.